well, he was like, yeah, we could do that bike tour we always were talking about. And I was like, oh, that would be kind of cool. Like, yeah, we have nothing else to do. And then, you know, we were kind of thinking like, wow, actually, like, this might not be the worst idea. Like, you know, we can kind of turn it into this thing where we were like, you know, we lost our jobs. <laughs> we were supposed to do this race and now we couldn't go. So like, well, they can't stop us. Like, we'll do our own tour, you know? Yeah. And uh, we're like, then, you know, we can bring the fans along with us and, you know, since we didn't have teams at the time, we're like, it'd probably be good to, like, keep us in sort of, like, the spotlight uh, and people could follow along. And then, so, yeah, we, you know, just threw out these ideas and we started to come up with more and more ideas uh, on how we could do it, what we would do. And uh, and then, yeah, so we started to do it and then it ended up just blowing up 10 times bigger than we could have ever imagined. From KOM Cycling and Michigan Midpack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Michigan Midpack. I'm your host, Trevor. And this is Sheldon. And on today's episode, we talk to World Tour Pro Michigander and the 2017 Men's Pro National Road Race Champion, Larry Warboss. But before we get into that, Sheldon, the sun is shining. We've had some Decent weather here in lower Michigan, mid-Michigan, and uh, it seemed like a perfect time for a lot of people to get out, uh, do some solo rides. Have you been taking advantage of this, Sheldon? How has your week been in the mid-pack? It's been pretty good. Uh, I, I got out for a couple rides this week. Um, I'm going to get out for a ride as soon as we hop off of here because I'm looking out the window and it is gorgeous out today. It's still a little on the chilly side, but... Uh, uh, we're getting to that point in the year that once the sun's up, uh, it starts to feel pretty nice. So um, you're still holed up in St. Clair Shores, Detroit yes. area? Yes, I'm still still over on the east side, um, still trying to figure out routes. Uh, I've had a few of our listeners uh, shoot me different uh, Stravas and tips on where to ride, so I'm, I'm, I'm filtering through those to figure out you know the ideal spot, but... Uh, it, it, it's still not as relaxing as the Lansing area where we can just, you know, in five, ten minutes be out in the country and not have to deal with anything. It's like you can ride for an hour out here and you're still in suburbia. Yeah, how's the uh, how's the gravel scene out there, Sheldon? <laughs> well, their paved roads are worse than our gravel roads in, in Lansing. <laughs> so uh, I, I have ridden my – I uh, actually dusted off the old Specialized Roubaix and I've done a few road rides. Um, I'm very thankful that I have the 28 Gravel Kings on because, man, the roads out here are not great. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of similar to the way it is. Here everywhere in, La- in Michigan. <laughs> everywhere in Michigan. I mean, and here in Lansing, it's uh, the, the the dirt is definitely always better than the the paved. But uh, but good to hear that you're getting out and getting some miles. Um, yeah, I've, how about you? How, uh, I, I, I've been kind of stalking you a little bit on Strava, but uh, let's hear about some of your rides. You had a couple had a, good ones. Yeah, I had a big week. I was just taking advantage of, 
of the weather and uh, the time off as many people are. I mean, a lot of a lot of solo stuff. I did a little bit of mountain biking. Last Thursday, it was a, a beautiful day, so I met uh, our mutual friend Tristan out on the roads, and we, uh, keeping the appropriate distance between one another, we had a uh, incredible 100-mile ride. We went up nor- uh, toward... And uh, Sheldon, you're familiar with basically this route, but from here, go up towards Ionia, and hit up the uh, the single track in the Ionia recreational area, and then back, and it was it was just fantastic. Yeah, no, I uh, I had gone for a ride that day on some really rough suburban pavement out here, and then when I got home and I got on the Strava, I saw your guys's ride. Ah, oh, it was just a gut punch. I love like you guys did the route that I absolutely love, and then I was seeing some pictures. What was Tristan on? You guys got a... I was wondering, have we talked about his new bike? I don't think we have, but it was the... the, uh, His inaugural 100-miler for his Bear Claw Bo Jackson. And let me tell you, this build that he has for this Bo Jackson is beautiful. Um, We're going to have to put up some pictures of it, but... uh, It's the most Michigan bike ever. He's got a Michigan frame, Michigan wheels... Um, He just put uh, some of the three-toe – is that what it is, three-toe? Yep, yeah, three-toe bags. Yeah, Yeah, so Michigan bags. um, And, uh, yeah, we'll just – it's – it's hard to explain how how beautiful it is, but we'll put up some pictures just so everyone can uh, can appreciate this bike. But yes, it was the his inaugural hundred miler on this bike, and it was um, it was fun to be a part of that, and it was just such a great ride. And then just looking at Strava the last couple of days, I've been noticing that it seemed like the weekend where a lot of people got either a century in or their first century of the season in. I just think it's the the weather just broke enough that people were really itching to get out and ride. Yeah, you just wanted to be out all day. Um, I mean, it was sunny. Wind wasn't terrible. Uh, it, it was a Michigan spring day. And I got back. I had some color. <laughs> I got burned. Oh, my God. Uh, so I... Uh, when Tristan and I went for our ride, I it was still early. It was very sunny, still early, but it was low 40s maybe, and I wore knee warmers. And you know when you wear the knee warmers, you have that just little bit of space on your calf between yep. your knee warmers and your socks. Well, needless to say, it gave me some very interesting uh, tan lines or sunburn lines when I got home that day. But <laughs> um, So, yeah, so a lot of uh, – no. I'm noticing a lot of people are doing their solo rides or um, still getting outside, um, but but yeah, I mean racing is is still a huge question mark, and maybe even yeah, I mean, at, at this point, every race on the <laughs> on the schedule at this point is basically just speculation. I, should we go through just a, a little bit of an update? I know it's kind of depressing, but should we just talk a little bit about? Oh, I, I think we should because uh, this morning we, uh, or last night you posted a big one, Dirty a bi- Kansas. A big one, and it this um, definitely hits a lot of people um, across the country, but uh, I think it was... Even people that weren't racing it were kind of watching this one to see what what they were going to do. Sure. Um, yeah, and I... I I think it was probably assumed that this would happen, but um, Dirty Kanza, 
originally slated for May 30th has been postponed to September 12th or that the weekend of September 12th. And uh, I I think it was probably assumed that it would be moved. Um, I'm glad it's postponed for now. Um, But uh, but yeah, uh, we're just I feel like a lot of us were just kind of waiting for that announcement to happen. Yeah, and with that one dropping, it was kind of, uh, for all of us here in Michigan, the next one on the calendar that had not made a uh, official decision yet, well, we woke up this morning, Hellcat, May 3rd, it is canceled into, until 2021. Yep. Uh, I, th- I think we were expect- we were all expecting it, um, but uh, that's what we woke up to this morning, so we're going to be waiting till 2021 for... Uh, our next edition of the Hellcat. Yep. And um, and then just as we were talking, Sheldon, just a couple minutes ago, we got a message from John Conkling. Um, yep. Uh, one of the He's been on the show. Uh, been on the show. Um, one of the race directors for Michigan Titanium, uh, Grand Rapids Triathlon, and the Dirty Mitten. And so he sent us a message that they had to uh, postpone. Uh, Grand Rapids Triathlon, which was originally for June 14th. So they're going an in- interesting route for their postponement because um, this year was supposed to be the 10th anniversary of the Grand Rapids Titanium. Uh, they are doing a virtual try in its place this year, but next year, June 13th, 2021, they will be doing the official 10th anniversary of the right physical race so they're pushing that back a whole year and as of now um the dirty mitten and michigan titanium are still on schedule um one thing that uh we've been seeing a lot sheldon in place of these physical races these physical events a lot of people are doing virtual things um a lot of solo attempts uh strava attempts i guess you might call it but there's been a lot of people trying to still create creative um well yeah people are, getting, are really using their imagination to make the best out of this situation i think uh one of these examples locally um matt acker put together this uh this grit series it's i think it's a three stage uh solo attempt uh, well grand rapids individual time trial series and you basically mm-hmm. go and you record your time and then whoever has the best time between the three. And I think there's categories between um, age groups and all these things. So it's just a creative way that, to get people out and doing these things. We're not really in the Grand Rapids area. I, I don't think it would probably be smart for us to travel there to do these individual time trials. But, um, but yeah, like very cool things. I know some of the gravel race series uh, races have kind of put up a virtual – race i know uh dirty 30 and saranac did one of these um where you just go and they even did awards for it yep and between a certain uh uh, between a couple dates you go and you ride the route by yourself and then they just take the time um so yeah there there are creative ways that people are trying to uh, deal with this and give opportunities to others um, so um, we don't go crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you need a way to keep this uh, cabin fever at bay. Um, going into last week, I was I was definitely starting to feel the symptoms of the being cooped up in cabin fever. 
but then we had that nice break in the weather and man it was just getting out on the bike i mean it going down the street leaving for my ride just felt good i want to get back to that sheldon but one more thing on the on the virtual side we saw this last weekend Uh, it was initially supposed to be the tour de flanders in belgium and and that i mean just a, uh, a lot of people are missing the pro racing right now, especially during this spring classic season. And so Tour Flanders is supposed to go on. Of course, it did not with every other race in the world. Um, but they put they put on a um, a virtual Flanders, and it was um, a few dozen people, a few dozen pros, and uh, it was through not quite Zwift. It, it's a kind of a newer platform, be cool or something like that. And it, what they do is they take actual, it looks like a, a Google earth route or something. And they overlay that. And then your avatar know, avatar over on that. So it looks like you're riding an actual road and then your computer avatar. But so they had some real pros going at it for the last like few K 40 K <laughs> or something of this, of this route. And, I just I want to read some of these numbers because this is this is pretty fascinating. These are dudes that would do, you know, Flanders. I don't know, it was a four hour uh, yeah. uh, effort or or five. I don't know, three hour, four it, hours. It, it's about yeah, four. So, um, Cycling Tips put up an article that had some of the power outputs of of these guys. They're all on their trainers, which which gives all that information. But so uh, Greg Van Avermaet, who won the whole thing. For 43 minutes, he averaged 434 watts, which is five, <laughs> 5.86 watts per kilogram. <laughs> I mean, insane. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. Um, Nicholas Roche, uh, he averaged 399 watts, um, which is 5.7 watts per kilogram. I mean, so these Those guys... are some freaking numbers. <laughs> yeah, and it was. it's kind of interesting to see a 40 minute 45 minute effort from these guys that are used to doing much bigger efforts but so this uh this virtual course they did have some of the iconic climbs and i'm using air air quotes climbs because but but uh there's the Quermont and and the Peterberg but um of course it's going to be different of course they're not going to get the the technical course like uh and the cobbles and all that. So it's just, it is just a, uh, the wind that Flanders is notorious for. So it's basically how many Watts can you put out? so it is interesting that there are these opportunities. Um, I don't know, kind of neat. They got a lot of, uh, big pros to participate in this. And, uh, one of the points they put is, uh, yeah, it was interesting to see. It had nothing to do with team tactics because there weren't big teams. It had nothing to do with no drafting, no drafting, no technical ability needed. It was just an all-out Watt fest. So, <laughs> so it's still fun, and it still gives uh, uh, cyclists, uh, lovers, and and road race people that are are missing road racing something to watch and uh, and and to read about. But but yeah, it's not the same. Definitely, definitely not the same. Um, Sheldon, you had mentioned how you were feeling a little bit cooped up and just getting out on the bike. You know, we're we're missing events, we're missing racing, we're missing uh, group rides and that social ability. But are you finding 
that just getting out um, solo is still helping you cope with this whole thing? Oh, it, it, it's absolutely better than nothing. I mean, it's uh, getting out there, getting some suns, sunshine and some fresh air. But man, finishing up a ride and not having parking lot beers, thats I think that's what I'm missing the most. <laughs> well, that social element for sure. But yeah, parking lot beers. It'll be a while before we get to have parking lot beers again. I know. You know we, we, we really got the ball rolling on that last year, and now it's... Uh, it's getting to that time of year. We're getting the, the sunlight that's staying up until, you know, almost seven, eight o'clock. And it's like, man, this would be the time of year that we're, we're sitting on curbs, yeah. drinking a few cans of beer after, after a gravel ride. And I think that's what I'm missing the most right now. You know, I was, I was thinking about this as I was riding uh, this last week. And, and I, and I don't remember if we talked about this, so you can stop me if we have, but there's so much of, uh, my early season riding and all my riding la- uh, last year, and I'm sure this is no different from anyone, you have these events on your schedule. You have these races on your schedule. And so you, week to week, you are doing uh, training rides and things to gear up toward a single event or a single race. So your yeah. training is, it has a purpose. And the purpose is a race down the line, down in the calendar. Now, with so much uncertainty, so many of these races being canceled, being postponed, and who knows? We don't. We still don't know. Um, now when you're going out, you're not sure when that next event will be. What I'm finding is uh, it, it almost is bringing you back to the core or to the, the very foundation of why we ride bikes in the first place, just to get out and enjoy riding your damn bike. And I, I think maybe that's like a beauty in this whole thing is to – a lot of us to rediscover why we ride our bicycles. So it's definitely a two-sided coin and I couldn't agree more. I'm noticing on my rides the last few weeks, um, if there's something that catches my eye that I want to stop and take a picture of, I don't even hesitate anymore. Like right now it's pull the bike over, take a picture, enjoy the scenery and screw what my average, you know, mile per hour is or my average watt it's stop and enjoy the ride and it's the first few rides it was i kept glancing down at my garmin and i was kind of getting a little frustrated with myself my last ride i i don't think i really looked at my garmin at all and i i think too it's it's this appreciation of there's a lot of unknowns right now there's a lot of things that uh, normal things that we're used to that have been kind of taken from us. A lot of freedoms that we we don't have at this <laughs> point. Um, and but this is still something that we have and something that we can enjoy. And to be able to maybe not care about a race or an event or a specific thing down the line and just be a little more tuned in with what I'm doing the here and now and enjoying. The bike ride that you uh that we're privileged to have right now so anyways i don't know just a just a i guess a positive thing to take out of this and i hope people are well i, ho- I hope it's something that uh even once our race schedule starts to get back underway i hope it looking at this is something that a lot of us are able to kind of carry through back even into our training is enjoying riding the bike yeah yeah definitely i couldn't yeah that's exactly right so with all of this and um, a lot of people's schedules all over the place, I had seen that 
uh, Michigander, pro cyclist Larry Warboss was making his way from France back to Michigan. And I thought, hey, he probably has some time on his hands. So I reached out to Larry to see if he had a moment to talk a little bit about how this experience and this whole pandemic is affecting him, pro racing, and then also just to get to know him a little more and about his whole racing career and his life as a cyclist. Um, I've been a fan of Larry's for a while. Actually, I started following him when I lived in Indiana and when he won the U.S. Nationals in 2017. It was really neat to then move to Michigan to know that he was from Michigan. And um, so we talk a little bit about um, him growing up in Michigan and getting his start through Michigan. Well, and uh, it's kind of cool. You were talking about the 2017 race that he won uh, for Nationals. He uh, shared the podium with somebody that we've had on the podcast. Yeah, shared the podium with Michigander, friend of ours, friend of the podcast, Alexi Vermeulen. Um, Check out episode 13 for our interview with Alexi. So even though he's in Traverse City, he's in Michigan. Like all things, we had to call him up on Skype and have a virtual interview. But, uh, But yeah, let's get to our interview with Larry Warboss. Hello. Hello. Oh, hey. How's it going? Going well. Oh, there we go. Awesome. How we doing? Yeah, not too bad. Just uh, sitting at home in Traverse City. So how is the quarantine life treating you in Michigan? Uh, yeah, it's not too bad here. I mean, <clears throat> the nice thing is that, you know, we're still allowed to go outside, ride outside. Right. Um, everything like that, which is not really the case for most places in Europe. So in France, is which is where I live most of the year, um, yeah, you know, you can only go outside to go to the grocery store um, or do like, you know, a run or a walk within one kilometer of your house. Oh, geez. So, yeah, so it's pretty, pretty tight there. Um, so, and you need like a document, uh, every time you leave the house for either of those things and there are police checkpoints and stuff like that. So I saw like um, even like in Spain and Italy too, or just yeah, Spain and Italy, you actually can't leave the house other than the grocery store. So I don't even think you're allowed to exercise outside. I mean, it's kind of interesting. You are experiencing this whole thing from, you know, from Europe and now in the States, um, Mm -hmm. where did you do the, you were riding the UAE tour, right? I was there, yeah. Oh so I got a little bit of foreshadowing there uh, from what for what was to come. So, <clears throat> so yeah, that that definitely uh, put me on high higher alert than I think most people. Uh, so yeah, for sure. What stage did they did they call mm. that? After the fifth stage, so two days before the end. Okay. Um, and I assume that you or your team weren't put on quarantine like some of the other teams, right? No, I mean, the whole the whole race got locked down for like two and a half days. So the hotel doors were locked. Um, and there were like armed guards at every exit of the hotel, so no one could leave. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. So, uh, so that was pretty intense for like, and luckily we were able to get out, um, after two and a half days, which, yeah, no one was sure when we'd be able to go. And it wasn't really until like 
sort of like 11.30 midnight, um, the night before the morning we were supposed to leave. So we left at four in the morning uh, and we really didn't figure out we were really going to be able to leave until about 11.30 midnight before oh, that. God. So, yeah, so it was pretty crazy. Um, but, yeah. And then I assume you fly back, you had to fly back to to France, right? Is yeah, that- so that was also the other worry was like initially – I mean, because this all hadn't blown up everywhere else in the world yet. Um, we There was a chance we were all going to have to be repatriated to our home country, which for me would have been a hassle um, to come back here and then go back to Europe. Um, oh, geez. Yeah. But yeah, then in the end, as we see what happened uh, a few weeks later, it's like, okay, that wouldn't have been the worst thing now. But like... At the time, we didn't know this was going to blow up everywhere around the world. So, right. Um, so yeah, went back to France, and then I was supposed to race Strada Bianca, um, uh. and then like, uh, so luckily I hadn't left yet. So yeah, then it was like really, really last minute to see whether we would go or not for that, and uh, um, yeah, good thing that got canceled because as obviously we've seen what happened yeah, no in kidding. Italy shortly after. So. I was listening to your conversation with Ian Boswell not too long ago, and I think you uh-huh. were still in France, were you not? When... I was, yeah. He was staying at my house. Okay. So, okay. And that was when I was supposed to be at Strada, I think. And then. Uh... <laughs> well, you had mentioned that um, you were kind of maintaining fitness and uh, still training quite a bit is that st- yeah, is that yeah. still the case are you like are, yeah. you, are you able to get some i saw that you were doing a, a few zwift rides here and there because that's mm-hmm. necessary in michigan but um yeah are, i mean are you riding outside at all or still? i am yeah um i did five hours on zwift today oh my uh, what <laughs> yeah um that's insane but, yeah i know that's the most i've ever done on zwift so um yeah, I'm definitely, I'm still training hard. I'm riding outside a bit and then inside as well, just because like the weather's not amazing here always. And I actually, right. I really, I have a nice Zwift set up here. Um, and so I actually, I enjoy riding Zwift as well, as long as you're not like forced to do it every day. Right. right so, yeah. Um, so yeah, I've gotten in some really good rides uh, outside and then inside as well. So, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, my, my, I'm still pretty motivated and um, I'm sure that'll wane at some point. So I'd rather just like take advantage of the motivation that I have and uh, get the most out of it at the moment. So, and, and yeah, so I actually like, I, the first part of the lockdown in France, I had actually gone to altitude. Um, Cause that was like my, my initial plan before all this was like to do an altitude camp at it, during that same period. So I went up anyway um, to this place called Isla 2000, which is an hour and a half outside of Nice. Um, and I just thought, you know, once everything was getting locked down, I was thinking it'd be nice to be in the mountains rather than uh, in the city because it's like just less stress, less people. Right. Um, and, you know, you can still kind of do your own thing up there. Um, that was actually a really good plan. But then once we heard it might be stricter and longer, this lockdown uh, decided to come home. So. You had mentioned something about um, your mom, mom making like pie or cake. Have you cake. Had, have you indulged a little bit? Oh, I've <laughs> indulged a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so well, luckily, uh, I, the cake's gone now. So <laughs> thanks to me, the um, 
Yeah, real real quick, I don't want to like harp on this uh, negative note, but um, have you been able to hear from your teammates or anyone else from the team that it's just to check on them to see the ones that are um, uh, located in Europe? Um, how is it over there now? I mean, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, there's still a lot of contact with the team and everything. Um, you know, I think it's tough for the guys in France because it's like. Yeah, they're not really able to leave the house that much, and yeah. that kind of sucks. Um, and then, yeah, obviously it's not like a great situation in general, but I, I think France is handling it pretty well, and I think they're a little more forward than some of the other countries. Um, but I, okay. I definitely think it's still not, you know, it's not an easy place to be at the moment, that's for sure. Um, and then it sounds like, um you know like i have some teammates in belgium and in belgium is a bit like here you know they're still allowed to ride and everything like that so yeah. um so i think for them it's it's not like the end of the world either so it's just i mean i think it's just hard for a lot of guys a lot of guys are you know obviously lacking motivation because no one knows when we're going to race or you know uh what right. we're training for but you know well yeah unfortunately we kind of had to get that part out of the way. It's kind of no, a, that's okay. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's quite pertinent at the moment. Sure, yeah. I, I assume you don't have a, a a ticket back. You're kind of just waiting on things. No, to, no, yeah. yeah, just here indefinitely. Sure, so yeah. Um, well, if you don't mind, and if you have the time, I'd like to talk a little bit about just. I mean, you being from Michigan, uh, I want to hear the story about how you just got into the cycling thing, you know? Um, I know that you were born in Michigan, correct? Born and raised? Yeah. And um, you live in, or your parents live in Traverse City now. Um, is yeah. that where you grew up? Yeah, so um, I actually um, lived in Dearborn until I was nine. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we lived in southeastern Michigan. And, you know, I always just gone on like bike rides with my dad um when i was younger like around dearborn and stuff really enjoyed that and then we moved to traverse city yeah when i was nine so like the fourth grade and uh yeah it's just like a lot more outdoorsy community up here so right. started skiing and then yeah we would ride as well just like my dad and i i mean my, my dad's just into cycling just for fun you know sure. um and so yeah it was actually I didn't really get serious about cycling until I was probably around 12, 13. I did like my first races and, uh, I got into it through skiing actually. So here I, I ski raced and uh -huh. I was part of, uh, this thing called the Grand Traverse Ski Club. Okay. And the ski club did these mountain bike camps every, um, every summer where we would do yeah, like, I don't know, a couple times a week, we'd go ride on the single track at the Vasa. So, mm -hmm. you know, the yep. trail system that, like, the Iceman goes through and everything. Right. And uh, so, yeah, we do, you know, a few times a week uh, ride on the unmarked single track there. And I just really enjoyed that. Uh, it was really fun. And from there, I, I kind of took it a bit more seriously. And I think I maybe did the slush cup, like the children's kids version of the Iceman right, uh, yeah. that year. And, uh, yeah, I really liked it. So another guy who I ski raced with, mountain bike raced uh, quite a bit, like around the state. And the next year, he and his friends, they, they took me to a lot of races with them. And 
so that was kind of how I got started. Um, okay. So I really, really liked that. And then, yeah, I got into the road a little bit up here. I rode with, like, the Cherry Capital Cycling Club. And then at the time in Traverse City, they had these, like, Tuesday night rides that were really good. Um, and, you know, a lot of, like, the good racers from up here um, would do those. So it was, like, it was a really going around yeah, good the rule. Going up around the old mission? Old mission, yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, so that was sweet. Um, and there were quite a lot of good guys um, up here at that time. I don't know if you ever remember a guy named like Derek Prechtel, who was quite a good mountain biker. Okay. Um, and then a guy named Jeff Cook, who he still lives up here. He was like, yeah, probably one of the strongest guys in Michigan at the time. So he, he kind of took me under his wing. And, uh, yeah, that was really what kind of took me to the next level. So Did you race so collegiately then when you went to U of M? No, not really. So um, when I was a junior, I raced for like Priority Health, you know, the like the junior team that they had that yeah. was, you know, under like the Continental team. And so that was sweet because it was just really good support and um, it was a really good group of guys. So, you know, I became friends with a lot of the Masters guys on the team. And uh, so we had a really great team and yeah, always a good time and awesome support for a junior rider. So I did that, and then when I was 19, so I had always raced with the national team. I think I went over um, to Europe with the national team when I was 17 for the first time. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, from 17 on, um, I, yeah, like through my under-23 years, I raced with the national team in Europe. Um, so so that definitely helped a lot. Um and the thing was, so, yeah, then when I was 19, I joined a team called Waste Management out of uh, Arizona. Okay. Um, which was, at the time, probably the best, like, elite team in the U.S. Um, it was, like, a development team under 25. It wasn't continental, um, but, like, yeah, in terms of elite teams, it, yeah, it was, it was really well-supported. It was an awesome team. So um, the thing was with that and then with uh, the national team and everything, I was so busy I didn't really – have time to do collegiate racing because like i'd go to our training camp i'd go to like yeah you know redlands or these other races and in the end it was like i was always gone so much and training so much that like when i was at school i really had to like do school rather than on the weekends go for collegiate races so sure understand. i did maybe i think i did maybe two collegiate races but that was it yeah well, you were already heavy into the racing and and that side of things so yeah um, yeah uh and then jumping to the pro side of things was is was bmc your first pro contract yeah yeah okay and how quickly did that uh happen like out when you did you uh, uh relocate to europe after college or how did that all um uh, no so i was i actually was a development writer for bmc um starting yeah my second year under 23 so when i was 20 um so they like supported me with equipment and okay. gave me like a small stipend salary. Um, and so that was, that was really cool because yeah, I raced mostly with the national team. And then, yeah, at the time I got to do like one or two races with BMC, which is pretty cool. Um, and then, yeah, so that kind of really got me into the sort of system there. And then, um, <clears throat> my third year on R23, I had a really good year in Europe with the national team. I, I knew it was going to be kind of like a make or break year. So I took like second semester off of school um, and 
Yeah, in January, I went down to Greenville, South Carolina, um, just to train in better weather and with, you know, good guys. So I trained with George Hincapie right. um, yeah, I was gonna ask. pretty much like every day for maybe like two, three months. Oh, man. And uh, that, that definitely brought me up a level. Um, so For sure. So that was pretty sweet. Like he he was really generous in letting me, you know, come with him every day. And yeah, in the end, like I just did, I did literally every single training ride with him. Um which was awesome. You know, that, that really, uh, definitely brought me up a level as a cyclist. And when I went over to Europe that year, yeah, I had some really good results. And off of that, I ended up, uh, signing a contract, um, where I did like one more year under 23 and then two years pro. So, okay. Um, kind of fast forward to when you started riding with aqua blue, uh-huh. And, um, well, 2017 was a pretty big year for you, correct? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I forgot, I was, I, I was watching the U.S. Nationals and I knew you were in a breakaway, but I had forgot that you were in a breakaway with Alexi. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, he's he's been on the podcast before, so um, that was really cool to see Michigan represented um, yeah, in sure. the on the U.S. side. And then, yeah, 2017, you won the U.S. Nationals, and um, and then you also won a stage of Tour de Swiss, correct? Yeah, exactly. Um, other way around, though, right? You first you won the stage, yeah, at, Swiss first, and then Nationals. Um, and then I I remember, um, well, first of all, did you ride that weird? 3t bike with the the one by system <laughs> yeah that was 2018 though okay <laughs> yeah all right how do, never i we don't have to talk about that but i just i remember it was kind of controversial in a in a way um yeah yeah for sure <laughs> but then um after that team uh i don't know folded i don't know what you would call uh-huh. um, yeah folded yeah. um you had something was it called the no go tour where you're just yeah well, can exactly. you explain what that what that was all about what you were doing in between teams yeah so um at the time it was like we were supposed to do tour of britain with aqua blue and like yeah for me it was kind of like i built my whole second half of the season on uh looking at tour of britain because that was like sort of our biggest race for the second part of the year so I'd gone to altitude, I'd done all this like training and uh, yeah, I was coming into like really good shape for tour brain, which was exciting for me. Cause I was like, Oh, I thought I could, you know, do quite a good result. And it was going to be a big, big race for our team as well. So, um, I was like really excited about that. And then, yeah, all of a sudden, like one day we get an email team folded and we're like, Oh, oh that sucks, you know? And, but they're like, we're still going to do tour Britain. Um, and we're like, okay, well we just have to smash it to Britain to like show ourselves. And, uh, and this was like my teammate Connor and I, he lived like just down the road from me and Nice, So we trained together all the time. And, uh, so yeah, we were pretty devastated, but we're like, oh, at least we have tour Britain. And then like a day or two later, they're like, actually team's done now. We're not going to do tour oh. Britain. So then we were like, ah, oh, shit, this is like worst ever, you know? So then we were pretty down we were like, wow, damn, like you know, what are we going to do? Like we have all this time on our hands and, uh, and his, um, his partner, she was like a swanier for a British team. So she was still doing tour Britain with that team. Um, and so she was going to be gone and he was like, wow, now we have all this time. Like, you know, what should we do? (laughs) And he's like, Oh, like we had always talked about doing like, uh, 
a bike tour, but, you know, we never really had the time or, you know, it really never fit in well to our schedule. So, well, he was like, yeah, we could do that bike tour we always were talking about. And I was like, oh, that would be kind of cool. Like, yeah, we have nothing else to do. And then, you know, we were kind of thinking like, wow, actually, like, this might not be the worst idea. Like, you know, we can kind of turn it into this thing where we were like, you know, we lost our jobs. <laughs> we were supposed to do this race and now we couldn't go. So like, well, they can't stop us. Like, we'll do our own tour, you know? Yeah. And uh, we're like, then, you know, we can bring the fans along with us. And, you know, since we didn't have teams at the time, we're like, it'd probably be good to, like, keep us in sort of, like, the spotlight uh, and people could follow along. And then, so, yeah, we, you know, just threw out these ideas and we started to come up with more and more ideas uh, on how we could do it, what we would do. And, uh, and then, yeah, so we started to do it and then it ended up just blowing up 10 times bigger than we could have ever imagined, so... In terms, so pretty sweet. in terms of um, what you were planning, or just in terms of like how people heard about it and the kind of oh, yeah, press like you got, the coverage from and yeah. like uh, just the support we got. I mean, it was insane uh, uh, how how big it was, and yeah, everywhere we went, people like even just riding down the road, people people like we would pass on the road and knew knew us like they had been following us and stuff like that. So we were getting stopped like on the road by people who were like following our tour and everything like in the middle of nowhere in the mountains and the Alps and stuff. And we're like, Holy shit, this is crazy. Uh, and then, you know, even like we, we talked to a lot of our friends and I had friends on other teams who said like, you know, their team, like every morning they'd wake up to find out like at races like the, at tour britain at these other races at the vuelta like you know they'd wake up every morning to like find out where we were going that day what we had done oh, you know so, so like cool. all these guys like in the peloton were following and then even like uh like on eurosport during the vuelta they were talking about it and so uh, oh it's pretty God. cool it's pretty crazy yeah for sure so, so how many days were you out touring then um i think we did eight days because we did the exact same dates of tour britain okay and were you staying pretty close to home or did you do like a huge kind no, of No, we out- did we did like a huge loop of okay. the Alps. Um so, so yeah. How many how many miles did you cover? Do you do you know offhand? I think we did twelve hundred something K, so it was like yeah, I guess that'd be like seven hundred and twenty yeah. somewhere we probably did about seven hundred fifty miles or something. Well that's so that's incredible. I, my guess is like a lot of people in the Peloton were jealous of you. That's why they kept. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think a lot of people thought it was pretty sweet. So um, I kind of glossed over 2017, and I just want to give a chance to maybe talk a little bit about the U.S. Nationals uh-huh. or the or the stage that you won. It was a was it a summit finish? Mm-hmm. It was. A, uh-huh. So actually, let's let's talk about the U.S. Nationals. Anything that you I mean, I'm sure this is kind of a broad question, but anything memorable about that day, about being, um, it was in uh, Knox, Knoxville? Yeah. Um, uh, anything super memorable about about that day? I'm sure, did it kind of change your trajectory of career? No, it definitely, it definitely changed my, yeah, it changed my career a lot, and it gave me a lot more recognition as a rider. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just kind of like, you know, I knew going into that race, I knew that if I could win a stage in Tour de Swiss, like I could win the Nationals. And if I wouldn't have won that stage in Swiss, I don't think I would have won the Nationals. Because, like, I went there and I thought, well, like, physically, uh, you know, I'm probably the best rider in the race that day, you know. But, like, 
the problem was I was riding alone, uh, and sure. Uh, so that 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 is just like pretty much all up to uh, luck or you know how the race plays out, whether um, the situation will work out. So, um, so yeah, it was just kind of like, oh, I guess I'm just gonna have to be like super conservative, let the race happen, and if it plays into my hands, then sweet. So I just pretty much sat and said like I can't follow like any move until like an important time to go. So a big breakaway went away and, you know, whatever happened, I actually felt like really bad. Uh, I really didn't feel good for the first oh, really? half of the race. I felt like, yeah, I felt horrible. Um, but, you know, I just knew that sometimes, yeah, you feel shit, you feel shit, you feel shit. And then all of a sudden, like, you feel good at the end. So, yeah, I was just holding out hope that, that I would come good. And uh, then, like, later on in the race when this breakaway was still away, I was talking to a few guys and I was just saying like, Hey, you know, that didn't have many teammates. So like Brent Bookwalter, Alexi, another one. And I just said, Hey, like, you know, what do you guys think if like maybe with a few laps to go, we just like smash it up the climb and see what happens. And they're like, yeah, maybe like, we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> and so then in the end rally ended up smashing it for us. And then, uh -huh it like brought the breakaway back and then blew up the whole race. Um, and then, yeah, maybe like the race was all together. The next lap, I think actually maybe Alexi was the guy who like went really hard on the climb. And then at the top, there were like seven of us. Um, and yeah. So then on the other side, we were rotating, but like some guys weren't really going and, I took a pull and like no one followed me. And then I just was like, well, okay. And I just kept going. Um, and sort of did like, you know, like a half-assed attack, but like, uh, just to see like what would happen. And then all of a sudden, like Alexi and Nielsen Palace came up to me and then we just went and then all the other guys behind, like looked at each other and that was it. So, uh, <laughs> the good thing was with like two young guys, uh, you know, they were super motivated, so everyone committed like 100%. And right. So, yeah, and so that was like ended up how we <clears throat> we ended up uh, getting away. And then, yeah, actually, like, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, wow, like you played that like so calm and collected in the final or whatever. Like, and in the end, the only reason that I played it like so calm was because Alexi's, you know, a friend of mine and, I knew that he was in like a contract year and everything. And I, I thought, well, you know what, like huh. essentially like in the end, like if he goes, I'm not going to chase him because like, you know, I'd be really happy to see him win too. And I just had a big win like the week before. So, um, so yeah, it was like in the last K or something, right. Alexi was like on the front and then he had a little gap. And so he attacked and like, Paulus looked at me and I was like, well, I'm not going to chase him down, you know? Uh, and in the end, because of that, it played into my hands perfectly. Cause then Paulus went, I got on his wheel, you know, he pulled me across and then I attacked and right. won. So, so that's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. That's cool to hear that story for sure. Um, and then, um, so now you ride for AG2R, you got, mm -hmm. what's the, Le Monde, how do you say that? Yeah, Age 2 Le Monde. Okay, okay. Um, and uh, I wanted to ask you a couple questions. 
Um, I'm not sure if the the word is out in Europe, but here in the United States, um, there's a thing that's pretty big called gravel racing, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and there's a lot of uh, um, probably some of your friends that are kind of going and dipping their toe into gravel yeah. racing. Yeah. Um, what is your opinion on gravel? Maybe not opinion, but uh, um, do you see yourself maybe doing a little of that in the future? I mean, you said you've you've ridden uh, Strada Bianchi a few times. That's basically a gravel race ish. Um, what? Yeah. What do you, What do you think about gravel? Yeah, I mean, I think it's sweet. I mean, if it fit into my schedule, I'd love sure. to do some races, you know. Um, but yeah, with my team, it's like definitely not a priority for them. Yeah. So you know, it just kind of depends, like if we didn't have any races or if I was in the U S or whatever, um, during some of the good races. So I'd love to do them. I think it'd be sweet. And yeah, I'm definitely a fan of, uh, that style of racing. You know, it's like when I was young, we'd always ride on dirt roads for training, especially in the winter up here. Uh, you know, we, uh, <clears throat> we would ride like cyclocross bikes all winter, like in the snow and on dirt roads and everything. And so, yeah, I mean, that was like before, this whole gravel thing existed, sure, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, so I've always been a fan and really enjoyed, uh, you know, being out in the woods and mixing it up like on different terrains and stuff. So, uh, I think it'd be sweet, sweet to, uh, yeah, to do a race or two here or there. Um, but yeah, you know, kind of really depends since we do so many races the whole year, uh, whether it would even fit in the schedule. I mean, AG2R seems like a pretty traditional bike team to me. Yeah. That just focuses on, you know, the traditional races or, um, yeah. Are you, uh, I kind of always thought maybe you were more of a, a stage race guy. Um, but you do some of the single day classics and things. Yeah, I do. I, I've done like the Ardennes classics for, yeah, pretty much. Since 2014, I've done uh, a lot of the Ardennes. So, um, you know, like this year, the Ardennes were kind of a big part of my schedule. So Amstel Flesh Liege would have uh-huh. been, you know, big goals for me. Um, but, but yeah, and like Lombardia and stuff. So, yeah, I've done quite a lot of the, the big one-day races. And okay. I, I really enjoy those races also. Um, I think they're sweet. But, yeah, then I, I like I like the, the stage races too. So, Pretty much any of the hilly hard races, uh, I'm a fan of. Yeah, fantastic. Just not not the cobble, not the cobble, not the cobble classics. So. No, you're not. That's not, not my your, cup of tea. Not your thing. I mean, I'd love to one day do Tour of Flanders, but like I have no desire to ever do Paris Roubaix. Like uh, I hope I never have to do Paris Roubaix. What? But maybe once in my career, I'd like to do Tour of Flanders. What about Paris Roubaix? Don't you? Are you not into? Oh, it? it's just super rough. When I was like under twenty three, I, I did. I started the uh, under twenty three Paris Roubaix, and yeah, that's just. I don't know. It's like <laughs> so rough and. It's not uh, not my cup of tea. I feel so. like you'd have to put on a little weight. I don't know. Yeah, Usually maybe. the guys yeah, yeah. are a little little bigger that uh, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. More, so, uh, yeah, it's just not – I have no desire to do that. So. <laughs> well, um, uh, another question that uh, my um, co-host Sheldon was wondering is mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned the slush cup. And Iceman yeah. is such a big deal. I mean, in Travis yeah. City, but in Michigan. Um, have you ever just raced Iceman? The- oh, yeah, a lot of times. Okay. Um, so I used to mountain bike race a lot when I was younger. Um, so pretty much 
Yeah, up until I was 19, I think I did it pretty almost every year. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, then, yeah, maybe when I was like, or maybe, yeah, when I was 20, uh, I think was the last time I did it. So it's been a while. Um, but yeah, it's just, the problem is it's always like right at the end of my off season. So it's usually I'm coming off of like a month off the bike uh-huh. and, uh, that's not like the easiest uh, reintroduction to uh, cycling after a month of no riding. So yeah, no kidding. Um, so yeah, I don't like. Yeah, it's such a big thing here, and everyone takes it so seriously that it's like if I show up and just get my ass handed to me, like everyone's <laughs> just like, "What the heck?" I thought this guy was like a pro. So uh, so yeah. yeah. Plus, I just have no desire to suffer that much in uh, beginning of November. <laughs> But maybe like uh, maybe at the end of my career, you know, maybe I'll do it as like my retirement race or something, sure. and I'll, I'll give it a really good go. Yeah, but we we can hope that maybe that's a few years out. Of yeah, course. exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I did. Were you there this last year? Mm-hmm. I thought so because I thought I remember seeing like a one of your Instagram <laughs> stories or something. Yeah, in the, yeah, in the middle actually, of. The, unexpectedly i ended up in traverse city that weekend so uh yeah i went to watch the race and stuff it was pretty cool it's yeah. nice to see alexi win that was pretty sweet yeah no kidding that was awesome well very cool um i really appreciate this you know i i i took a shot i knew that you might have some extra time and so try to make a a, a good situation out of a bad situation so yeah uh, for sure this is <laughs> this is fantastic we usually don't talk a lot of road cycling so uh uh-huh. I, lo- I love i love to be able i'm a huge um road uh fan and nice. it's kind of rough right now because this is the best time of the year to yeah, be watching races and uh, but this is this is great to to talk to you and yeah i mean this is this was awesome i really appreciate your time yeah for sure good to talk to you and uh hopefully we will be able to see you racing sometime this year this season yeah sounds good <laughs> sounds good i hope so too otherwise i'm in trouble but, uh, <laughs> well do, do uh were you, were you planning on doing like Velta or anything like that or uh well Giro was on my schedule so okay. um I mean at the moment I think they're trying to do the Giro in October so right uh, that would be sweet if that could happen um you know I really I don't think anyone knows anything uh I in terms of the future uh it's hard to you know make, what that holds hard so. to make any plans yeah I know the tour. They haven't said anything about the tour yet, but it's hard to believe that that would be happening. Well, yeah, not at the dates that it's planned. I I can't imagine it happening at the dates that it's planned. But I wouldn't be. I mean, if there if any races happen this year, then the Tour de France will definitely happen. Okay. It's just I don't know when it would. You know. So, um, so I think if we see bike racing again this year, we will definitely see a Tour de France. Okay. That's my idea. So. Um, I feel like the postponement of the Olympics helps that out a little bit too, right? Like that's true. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but again, yeah, I think it's just like, yeah, who knows when we're gonna come out of this whole thing, right? So, uh, so shall we come out of this uh, and be able to do events again? Then I think, uh, yeah, I think a Tour de France will happen, but. You know, I don't know in what form or what month, but uh, yeah. I think that will be the number one priority of like the UCI and stuff like that is to make sure that happens. Sure, yeah. Um, so you don't really know what races you might be doing. Absolutely, I, I mean, don't think anyone knows yeah. any races they're doing <laughs> at the moment. You know, so uh, 
So yeah, my schedule initially was uh, um, Tour Basque Country, Amstel Flash Liège, Giro, uh, and then we kind of see from there. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, so well, one place I, um, we might see you, or I might see you. I think I'm gonna try to find you on. I I'll probably see you on Zwift. Sweet. Um, maybe yeah. I'll try. I'll follow you on Zwift and and see you around that. that Sounds good. That place. So, thank you, Larry. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. Don't eat too much cake. Yeah, try not to. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yep. Have a good one. Hey, Bye. Too. Bye. The Dirty Chain Podcast is a Michigan Midpack Media production in partnership with KOM Cycling the source for your bike accessories and necessities. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Dirty Chain Podcast. Email dirtychainpodcast at gmail.com. Call our hotline at 616-522-2641. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen. Audio editing and original music by Trevor Gibney. Sheldon Little handles the social media, graphic design, and of course, bad decisions. A big thank you to Larry Warboss for taking the time out of his day for an interview. And a huge thank you to Karen Edwards for allowing us to use one of her amazing photos for this episode. And as always, whether it's inside on Zwift or outside on a solo ride, keep your chain clean. But get your chain dirty. We'll see you in the mid-pack.